Seven days ago, your preacher told you that the devil wants to kill you. But you came back. You went toe-to-toe, hand-to-hand combat, but you were not defeated. You have not been destroyed. You have not surrendered. You have not quit. You did not give up hope. You made it through another week without being devoured by the devil or any of the destructive forces that run wild in this world. You have not been decimated by the dysfunctional patterns of behavior in which we are all sometimes prone to engage. I don't know why Dave hates preaching about the devil. I kind of like it. I think I might do some more in a few minutes. I, Simon Peter, am a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you about the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. In these first two sentences, we find out that the followers of Jesus to whom this letter was addressed share the same precious faith with Peter. Ever since then, Jesus has been giving all his followers that same faith, which could help to explain why the Jesus movement has by and large resisted the devil and stood against him for hundreds of years, often in the most appalling circumstances. When God was giving you your faith, even then, he did not have to say, sorry, I'm running a little low today. All I have left here is this stale, moldy, day-old, worn-out, hand-me-down faith. Good luck to you. No. He said, here, this stuff is category five. When it makes landfall, you better take cover. This faith is vorpal. You hit the demigorgon just one time with this, he's going down. Just don't fight him on an empty stomach. You have received a transformational, motivational confidence that Jesus will get you through whatever it is that you're going through. And that kind of faith, that kind of faith spits in the devil's eye. You got dancing faith. You got faith that's going to get your body back up out of the grave someday. And I don't think you should wait till that day to find out what all else your faith can do. And you might be thinking, I don't know. I don't think that's what I got because I keep screwing up. I keep letting people down. You say that because you don't know Peter like I know Peter. He did more of that stuff than you would imagine, more than I have time to go into right now. Jesus is fair to everybody, and all over the world and throughout history, all of his followers get Category 5 faith, and that includes you. So I want to assure you that the faith you have received is just as precious and powerful and valuable as the faith your friends and relations receive all over the world and throughout history. It's just as durable and transformative as the faith your neighbor received. It can go from zero to 60 just as fast as whatever the preacher's got. Really, the devil should be nervous when he hears your alarm clock go off in the morning. He's probably sitting somewhere right now hoping you'll sleep in tomorrow morning so he doesn't have to deal with you first thing on a Monday. That noise you hear, that's the devil locking himself in his underground bunker to escape from you. Well, that was the first two sentences in the book of Peter, Second Peter. We've only opened door number one, and God is just getting started handing out the goodies. We got door number two, door number three, and door number four still to go, and every single one of these doors has a fabulous prize behind it. No rice San Francisco treat behind any of these doors. And you don't have to pick just one. Every single one of you 
can go home with every single one of these fabulous gifts. But we should move on. I mean, I personally could do this all day. I sort of am going to be doing this all day. But may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. Jesus invites us to God, and everything you need to please God has been given to you as you get to know Jesus personally and intimately. And that, my friends, that's a miracle. For the rest of your life, everything you need to please God will be given to you as you continue to get to know Jesus personally and intimately. Here's one way to think about this. When we give ourselves to God, when we say, here I am, here's my ATM card, here's my budget, here's my schedule, here's my calendar, here's my skill set, here's my personality, here's my social network. When we say that, he only ever says one thing. You want to know what he says? He says, welcome home. He says, I designed you. I accept you. You are mine, and I am pleased with you. He never, ever says to us, thanks, but I was actually hoping for someone a little more financially or emotionally stable. Sorry, but at this time, I'm looking for someone older, or I'm looking for someone younger, or I'm looking for someone in better health. I say to you now, on behalf of Jesus, with any authority he might have delegated to me in this situation, the voice that you hear rejecting you when you give yourself to God, that's not the voice of God. All right, now check this out. If Jesus is inviting people to God, and we are getting to know him intimately and personally, then we are going to become people who invite other people to God. If you want to assess how well someone knows Jesus, ask yourself this question. When I spend time with that person, do I feel like I've been invited into the presence of God? Do I feel like God would welcome me if I approached him? Do I feel like God would enjoy hanging out with me? Does this person make God seem accessible? Now let me ask you this. How do you imagine interacting with you causes other people to feel about God? So when we opened door number one, God gave us a powerful transformative gift. He gave us a transformative motivational confidence that Jesus will get us through whatever it is that we're going through. When we opened the next door, God gave us everything we needed in order to live a life that pleases him. I skipped over door number two because behind door number two, God gives more and more grace and peace to his people. How much grace? How much peace? More. More and more. When the devil is dumping crap on you with a shovel, God is dumping tranquility and favor on you with a dump truck. The fountain of grace and peace does not run dry. This past week, we had everything we needed in order to please God. But now, now we are praying that next week, God's going to empower us to do a little more and a little better than we did last week.
You are praying that, right? If we are, then we are anticipating that we will need additional grace and peace. Newsflash, this next week will contain challenges that will require God's favor and supernatural serenity to navigate successfully. Good chance that some of us will face challenges of an unprecedented nature that will give us an opportunity to please God by improving ourselves and developing new capabilities. And if we do that, then on the other end, we will know God better. So, next time we see each other, I hope that many of us will know God better than we do now. In seminary, most of my professors are very careful to clearly identify any material that might be on the final exam because they know that we seminarians have a deep aversion to learning anything more than is absolutely necessary. We have an ingrained fear of gratuitous education. God gives us more grace and peace as we grow in knowledge, which tells us that if we are not aware of God's increasing generosity to us, that's grace, and if we are not becoming more emotionally capable of weathering, God's, of weathering life's storms, that's peace, then our learning ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. If we remain people who lack grace and have nothing to share, and who lack peace and so bring chaos into every situation, then either we've stopped learning or we're learning the wrong stuff. The knowledge of God comes as we receive and experience and internalize and broadcast grace and peace. The knowledge of God that enables us to please God with our lives is an intimate and personal knowledge of Jesus. It's relational. It's not theoretical. It's not academic. Part of the nature of that relationship is that God makes promises to us, and he keeps them. Listen to how powerful these promises are. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature after you have turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Door number one, God gives us transformative and motivational faith. Door number two, God gives us more and more grace and peace. Door number three, God gives us everything that goes into a life of pleasing God. Door number four, God gives us great and precious promises. And through these promises, we partake of the divine nature. God makes promises like, I'm going to live inside of you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to give you rest. And so the unchanging God, the ruler of the universe, ruler of all space and time, binds himself irrevocably to fickle mortals with uh, predictable results. His heart is broken so that our hearts can be healed and we can partake in the divine nature. What in the world does that mean exactly? partake in the divine nature. Well, we could talk about all kinds of things. In fact, the early church, especially in the East, understood this to mean that in all the ways humans could become like God without becoming God, we would. My seminary professor says there's an ontological chasm between us and God. You don't really need to remember that. That's an audacious idea, though, that we could appropriate uh, or experience part of the life of God. So I can't possess unlimited power. 
That would be poaching on God's property. Unlimited power is his prerogative. That's just how he rolls. But I can participate in the work of God as he heals the world and builds the church. I can do it in powerful ways with strength God provides. God has always existed for all eternity. I have not. But I will celebrate and reign with God for all of eternity in the future. Jesus invites us to know God in a transformative way that will make us like God. What does it mean to be like God? Well, we've looked at God. He's the one who gives faith. He's the one who gives grace and peace. He's the one who welcomes the ones who approach him. We're like God when we engender faith, share grace, and bring peace in the lives of other people including our spouse, including our kids. We're like God when we make and keep promises that change the lives and character of the people around us. We have an invitation to become like the God who welcomes, receives, empowers, transforms everyone who comes to him. We have the opportunity to connect with the God of the universe who voluntarily and irrevocably binds himself to us when we give ourselves to him. So how? How in the world could we imagine that godliness is boring or irrelevant or insipid? How could we think of the pursuit of a relationship with God as an obligatory burden instead of a wild adventure? As I talked over these verses with friends these last couple weeks, they've helped me to see that right here at this point, we are turning a corner. God's been giving us all these great gifts, and now we find out that at some point, we have to turn our back on a world corrupted by lust. Uh, you knew it was too good to be true, right? You knew there had to be a catch. But look, we live in a world that's broken and our relationship with God calls us more and more into a future world where everything is fixed. Actually, our relationship with God calls elements from that future world into this present reality. Healing, fixing, restoring. If we persist in embracing the familiar dysfunctions of this world... We will not be able to embrace the new person God is calling us to be and the new world he is calling into existence through his relationship with us. And so we read, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your Category 5 faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with perseverance and perseverance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We partake of the divine nature as we turn our back on the ruined elements of this world, so we must put forth effort. Salvation is something God freely gives to us, and we receive it. And salvation is something that we work at. I don't know how these two things go together, but I think almost all of us know instinctively that they are both true. I can't possibly 
become all that God intends for me to be unless he gives it to me freely, since I sure don't deserve it. On the other hand, why would I imagine that becoming all that God intends for me is going to be an effortless process? The caterpillar struggles to build the cocoon, and the butterfly struggles to release herself from the cocoon. So we have to supplement our faith, even though we've been given everything we need to live a life that pleases God. Even though we share Category 5 faith with the apostles, eventually we have to yell, fire in the hole, push the plunger, and take cover. For those of you who are unfamiliar with my preaching, that's a metaphor. Don't literally blow anything up this week unless it's absolutely necessary. Everything has been given to us, and we are challenged to make every effort to rise to the rising level of grace and peace that's being poured out on us. We are challenged to cultivate virtue, which is the characteristic of God that causes him to make the kind of promises to us that make us act like him. We are challenged to cultivate God-likeness. We're challenged to cultivate knowledge as we explore the intimate personal relationship with Jesus that allows us to acquire everything we need to please God. We're challenged to cultivate discipline and not give up. The mention of perseverance and discipline reminds us that sometimes our transformation will be difficult, and some aspects of it may take a great deal of time. The list ends with brotherly affection and love, as if to say that if our efforts do not lead us to better relationships, then we're doing it wrong. Imitate God and pursue better relationships with God and people. At this point, I need to make some kind of an effort to explain how it might look if someone wanted to build these kinds of qualities into their life. I want to tell you a little bit about how this works for me, but not so that you can try to be just like me. I mean, just because Dave is our preacher doesn't mean that CrossFit is a necessary component of spiritual growth for every single one of us, right? Right. Amen. I want to encourage you to analyze yourself and your own situation and find your own path. So, a few years ago, making an effort to supplement my faith with these kinds of qualities meant going to seminary for a very long time possibly for the rest of my life, if ever I live that long. Pray that God delivers your soul from such a fate. A few years after that, when Terry began her counseling practice, in addition to her work here at Westwinds, supplementing my faith with these kinds of qualities meant taking a little more responsibility for things around the house. Don't get too excited. I'm not exactly crushing that. <laughs> Last year, it meant dealing with Terry's cancer. After that, it meant learning the best way to love my daughter-in-law. Right now, it means working with Terry to open a counseling center for kids in Mason. Let me give you another example from the preschool classroom. One time, a new family dropped off a couple of kids, and they left their older sister as well. This happens often, and it's usually not a problem. It was a bit of a complicated lesson that day because I was not sure the material, biblical material was suitable for children. And also, I had to manipulate these little wooden blocks while I was telling the story. I got through that, and then it was time for cookies, which normally my favorite part. I was serving special fresh-baked holiday cookies. Who's the best Sunday school teacher in the whole wide world? I noticed that one of the kids, the new ones, was still off in the corner playing with no cookie, so I call him over. 
Now the older sister has explained to me that he has a condition and he can't eat the cookies. She tells me this so articulately, so matter-of-factly, so politely, no trace of defensiveness, no trace of embarrassment. Obviously, her parents have explained to her and showed her what to do if some fool tries to feed her brother. And now she knows what to do, and she knows when to do it, and she's more than willing. When she stands in the gap for her brother like that, she's acting like God. She's walking in grace and peace, and God is so pleased. She's partaking of the divine nature. When Thanksgiving approaches, and we would really rather spend Thanksgiving in Tahiti than with our dysfunctional families, and we decide that we will make Thanksgiving as good as it can be for everyone, that we will help create a space and a place and an opportunity for people to act like humans, we are partaking in God's nature because that's what God does. I don't know exactly what your quest to become like God will involve. It will be exciting. It may involve resolving a health issue or working on a relationship. I'm hoping that for many of you it includes bringing a bag of groceries with you next week for the food drive that's going to happen. Now, my material is kind of organized so that we started out by discussing what God gives us and then moved on to discuss our opportunity to put forth some kind of effort. But I don't want to leave you with the impression that when we start out, God helps us, and then at some point, well, we're kind of on our own. Every day... For the rest of our lives, we will need God's help to become who he's calling us to be and to live the life that pleases him. And whatever, whatever your particular challenge is, don't give up on yourself. Let's end with a look at what our lives could be like if we did give up. For as these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you grow towards spiritual maturity... They will keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we allow ourselves, if we give up and allow ourselves to stagnate and become useless and unproductive, well, you know that person who never makes the event more fun when they show up? The one who never makes the project run more smoothly? The person who contributes nothing and just wastefully uses up all the oxygen in the room? Yeah, don't become that person. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If we give up and allow ourselves to stagnate, we become blind. We become forgetful. Our nearsightedness makes it impossible for us to see past ourselves and our immediate situation. We lose sight of what we are really like. We lose sight of who God calls us to be. And we lose sight of the changes he's calling us to make in the world. On a good day, we know what God has done for us. And we know that some of the destructive patterns of behavior in our life have been broken. But when there is suddenly additional pressure at work, or at school, or at home, and things don't go right, we forget. We forget that we've been cleansed. We forget 
that we are secure in our relationship with God, and that we are people who accept responsibility when things go wrong. We forget that we don't need to win every argument. We forget that we know how to treat people with patient respect. My seminary professor says I need to preach more about hell. I don't know why. Because if you aren't scared of this stuff, I don't know why you would be scared of hell. You've never seen it. You've never experienced it. But uselessness and blindness are things we can see happening to people all around us every day. Most of us can remember the days when we were useless, the day we were blind, and it sucked. When we're thinking straight, we have no interest in reliving any of that. And God has given us these powerful, transformative gifts like faith, grace, and peace, everything that pleases him and mirrors his own life. And he calls us to take actions that transform us into productive, perceptive people. I don't know all of you. I know many of you, and some of you I know fairly well. But I'm standing up here to tell you that there is transformative potential in this room. We can change. Our lives can change. Our families can change. Our world can change if we receive what God is giving us and pursue the growth that's available to us. You know what makes someone a good Christian? They keep trying. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Amen.